As far as the reliability of scripture, this is super important because when it comes to hearing from God, we have to realize that because Peter called this a more sure word of prophecy and that Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. What is written in scripture, second Timothy said is, is given by inspiration of God profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed is what that means. And Peter also says that no prophecy of scripture, the written word of God is of any private interpretation. What that means is that it didn't come from anybody's feelings. Didn't come from anybody's personal interpretation. It says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy spirit. So what this means is that this can be trusted as the changeless and timeless word of God that was not influenced whatsoever by somebody's personal feelings. If it was, it would be of a private interpretation, but it's not. It says it was given by the Holy Spirit and as the Holy Spirit moved and as the Holy Spirit spoke. And the Bible also says, as far as the reliability of scripture goes, in the lifestyle of Jesus, that Jesus would always, whenever he was dealing with the temptations of the devil, he would always quote saying, it is written. When Jesus needed to speak the word of God to a situation, he would always quote from scripture. When he was tempted by the devil for 40 days or at the end of the 40 day fast in the wilderness, he always spoke and responded to the devil saying it is written. Jesus trusted the scriptures. Jesus affirmed the stories of Genesis, the prophets, the Psalms, um, the prophets through Isaiah and Jeremiah. And he also quoted from Malachi talking about John the Baptist. So every major portion of the Bible Jesus quoted from, and he had no doubt that it was true. And in fact, just so you guys know, the scriptures that Jesus quoted from, we to this day still have uh, legible copies of. So the Greek Septuagint, for example, was first penned, I believe it was a few decades before Jesus was born. And we still have originals of that, and we can read it. The Greek Septuagint contains the Old Testament. So the same Old Testament that we're reading, Jesus himself had in his possession, which is an amazing thing to think about. And that's why when you see Jesus quoting that he trusts the Old Testament, of course, we can too if Jesus did, right? So there's that. And then something we also need to understand is that because scripture is given as this change, changeless and timeless word of God breathed by the Holy Spirit, that it cannot, does not ever need to be doubted. Because the word of God, scripture, doesn't care how you feel about it. Doesn't care what you think about it. It pays no respect to personal opinions or interpretations. Okay? What you hear from the Holy Spirit because it comes through the faculty of a man's conscience and his new heart, if you will, that means it can be influenced by a person's own thoughts. And the Bible affirms this. And that's why it says in Hebrews four, that the word of God is this sword that divides soul from spirit. Your soul is mind, will, and emotions. Just what's the, what's been given to you as this human faculty of your mind to think, to feel, to make judgments, to believe. How's it going? <laughs> um, and the spirit is completely of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you're one spirit with Christ, which means your spirit is perfect. It says that heaven itself is right now filled with the spirits of just men made perfect. 
as a spirit being, your, your spirit is perfect. It does not sin and will not sin and cannot sin. But your soul can be influenced by sin. And that's why the Bible says we have to renew our mind. It's the process of renewing our mind. So the word of God divides between the two. So if you want to know what comes from the Holy Spirit and what comes from the fallen nature or from the flesh or the carnal mind, I'll say, you have to weigh it against the word of God. So if you hear something and it does not align with scripture, it cannot be from the Holy Spirit. If it does align with scripture, it is from the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people overcomplicate it and think, well, you know, let's say you're in a grocery store, for example, and you get this thought that you're supposed to approach somebody and talk to them. And you think, well, how do I know that's from God? Do you think the carnal mind nature or the devil would tell you to tell somebody about Jesus? Probably not. So even if you're wrong, I highly, it's highly unlikely that you are, but even if you are and you go talk to that person, what's the worst that could happen? At the very least, somebody heard the name of Jesus and whether or not they like it, it's not the point. The point is that you were a witness to the gospel. So why not just trust that it's the Holy Spirit? If it aligns with the Bible, right? Yeah, you did your part. Exactly. So that's just would be one practical example. But when it comes to bigger issues in, in, when, in hearing from the Holy Spirit, Yes, there are some cases when you'll hear something and you don't necessarily have chapter and verse in the Bible for it. Like sometimes people make big financial decisions or what house do I buy or whatever. And you won't find a Bible verse that says, you know, buy this house on this street with this, you know, house number or whatever. You're not going to find that in the Bible, obviously. But that, that's where we get into um, how the Holy Spirit communicates peace and joy and good judgment around particular decisions. So I won't get, the, get into that in detail right now because I want to focus on um, scripture itself. But we may get to that in, in a moment here. So everything that you are hearing or believe you're hearing from the Holy Spirit must be weighed against Scripture. The judgment of prophecies is accomplished with Scripture because it's the sure word of prophecy. It does not ever change. Um, and you also see in the Old Testament, you, we, they dealt with the same problem. Because people could hear from the Holy Spirit or from God, I should say, in the Old Testament as well as in the New but you had a lot of people just like today who wanted to hear from God or wanted to believe something and they were influenced by their own heart. In fact, in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, if you read like Jeremiah chapters 9 through 17 and then Ezekiel around that same range of chapters, about the first 20 chapters of Ezekiel, there's several, several references where in Jeremiah, for example, God will say, woe to the man who follows or believes the dictates of his own heart. Ezekiel talks about how people were hearing from their own spirit or their own heart, their own mind, and it led them astray. And it says that they actually created dreams for themselves, that they would think in such a way that would give them dreams that they would say were from God in order to give a prophecy that really was just from their own ambitions and desires. This, the same thing still happens in the New Testament. And the reason why is because people could prophesy from their own heart, just as people have the choice to in the New Testament. But the way that we know what we're supposed to say being from God is whether or not it aligns with scripture. And so we have to realize that because the mind is in the process of renewal, it can be led astray. You can prophesy from your heart and it not be from God. You can speak and have it not be from the Holy Spirit. And so that's why it's really important to know scripture because that is the only thing we have as uh, information not influenced by our feelings. Amen? So, really important to know scripture. Now, when it comes to 
the study of scripture, which is what I want to get into next, and we may kind of circle back to hearing from the Holy Spirit after this. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter one or two, excuse me, first Corinthians two. And we will start in verse six. First Corinthians two, starting in verse six says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, he quotes from the prophets here. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Now, if we stop there for a moment, this verse, I has not seen nor ear heard, is commonly used in connection to Isaiah 55 where it talks about how God's ways are higher than our ways. And then you'll see people say, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That is not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say the Lord works in, the, in mysterious ways. And then it says here, well, I has not seen or ear heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of the man, the things which God's prepared. So it's like, okay, well, doesn't that sound kind of mysterious? Well, if you read the next verse, it says God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So the cat's out of the bag. In fact, the Bible says in uh, Colossians chapter one, like verse 27, it says the mystery, which was hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to his saints. That to, to the Gentiles, God would make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery, the cat out of the bag, is Christ in you through the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here that these formerly hidden things have been revealed to us by his Holy Spirit. So God doesn't have to be a mystery to you anymore. If there's anything of the Spirit of God, as far as his workings in your life is a mystery, I think that's a matter of misunderstanding of the promise of new life in Christ. God wants to reveal secrets. In fact, the Bible says, I think it's in Proverbs 3, like verse 32, it says that his secret counsel is with the upright. His secret counsel, like the stuff that God only shares with Jesus and the Holy Spirit at the big table, right? You get invited to that meeting and he tells you all the secrets, which I just think is so cool. Um, okay, so 1 Corinthians 2, we left off in verse 10. If we keep reading, says, The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things that have been given to us freely by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we 
have the mind of Christ. Amen. So I want to focus on verse 13 for a moment here. So before I go over verse 13 again, I want to remind you guys of something Jesus said in John chapter 6. It's in verse 63. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Scripture is spiritual in nature. So when Paul says the natural man, this is in verse 14, can't receive the things of the spirit of God. He's saying with a brain that thinks like a normal human, you cannot understand scripture because it's a spiritual set of, of information. So we're given the Holy Spirit so we can know what the Bible says, okay? What it means. Then he says, but this spiritual wisdom, we can't speak in words which man's wisdom teaches. This is another way of saying if you try to intellectualize the Bible, then you're not going to get the point. And what happens is sometimes the, the study of the Bible turns into a science more than it does revelation from God that changes and transforms you and makes you like Christ. And then you get um, really puffed up intelligent people. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Knowledge alone cannot produce life. It just produces pride and arrogance. So that's why he says in verse 13, we speak this in words, which not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So in other words, he's saying the only way to speak to spiritual people, this is people that are Christians born again, in helping them understand the word of God, you have to use the words that the Holy Spirit teaches. So he's basically saying, if somebody is to understand what the word of God says as a spiritual set of information, you have to use the Holy Spirit's words, which seems kind of a little bit confusing because if you're like, okay, if you want to help people understand the Holy Spirit, he's saying, use the Holy Spirit's words to do that. But most people, when they think of understanding the Bible, they try to intellectualize it. And I need man's wisdom to help me understand God's wisdom. But Paul says you use God's wisdom to understand God's wisdom. So how do we do that practically? He says comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So that word compare is similar to when I was talking about weighing scripture against prophecy and prophecy against scripture. He's saying take what you have read, what you're believing, what you're seeing, compare it with itself, which would be the other places in the Bible. And that's how the Holy Spirit explains himself. So the step one, when it comes to the study of scripture, the first thing that we have to do in order to come to an accurate conclusion is compare the Bible with itself. Let the Bible interpret itself. As soon as you go outside of scripture to understand something in scripture, you're using man's wisdom to understand God's wisdom, which never results in truth. So compare scripture with itself. So if a scripture doesn't make sense, something that I will do commonly is I'll look for other scriptures in the Bible that are similar to help it expand what it means to me. That's the whole comparing spiritual things which, with spiritual uh, uh, principle that we're going over here. That's, that's number one. So if you're taking notes and you want to have this in summary, first thing you can write down when it comes to studying the Bible is always let the Bible interpret itself and compare scripture with scripture. Do that. Step one. Number two, write down 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, which is where we're going to go next. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6.
1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. The second half of the verse is what we're focusing on. He says, That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Do not think beyond what is written. That's the first part. So, truth, because it comes from comparing the word of God with itself, means in order to think spiritually, you can't think beyond the spiritual truth, which would be scripture. So, step one, we have compare the Bible with itself, let scripture interpret itself. Step two is don't think outside of what the Bible says. Now, this can turn a little bit legalistic in the sense that because people will want to make certain decisions by the Spirit of God or with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, they'll say, well, I don't have chapter and verse for this, and if I don't have chapter and verse for it, um, then I can't believe it. That this can be taken to an extreme, but, yes, question? Go for it. In other words, yes, don't question what you read in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, it's true, period. And if your thoughts or feelings disagree with the scripture, that doesn't mean scripture is wrong. It means your feelings are wrong, okay? And you use scripture interpreted alongside scripture to change how you think. We're not supposed to use what we think to change what the Bible says, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Does that answer your question? Kind of? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're going over. But yeah. So understanding something in the Bible, number one, compare it with itself. Look other look up other scriptures that are similar. As a practical step, and this is for everyone too, it can be profitable to read what we would call commentaries or other books. So for example, the Bible says that we are given teachers and that's those who explain scripture. However, Jesus said the only one we're to call our teacher is Christ. So that means Jesus is the only one who is actually called the teacher and our teacher. Human beings who teach are that wisdom of spiritual interpretation through human beings is given to us uh, as to be something that's supplementary to reading scripture. And so I, I have found it, and I've said this before, when I was first walking with God and learning and growing, I read a lot of other people's books. In fact, I probably read more of other people's books than I did the Bible. And then, but as I learned, I slowly started drifting away from other people's books. And then now I basically exclusively read the Bible. And it got easier to understand in the process of other people helping me understand. But that's why you have to, if you're going to be taught by someone else and learn from someone else, make sure there's somebody who's a trusted individual who you know believes the whole Bible. Because if they don't believe the whole Bible, then they're thinking humanly and not spiritually, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So don't think beyond what is written. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you don't have to understand everything understand everything all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while to get things. I mean, nobody's gonna get the whole Bible in one lifetime. Not even close. Understanding the whole thing. So we just have to remember that. Um, so this as far as this, don't think beyond what is written. In the Greek, it just means don't think outside of what is written. And so even though this can get legalistic, we have to believe what it says. And I'm just going to leave it up to you guys to ask the Lord how you're going to apply this to your life. Because it's very clear, don't think outside of scripture. So however you want to apply that, that's going to be between you and the Lord. But I just take it literally and I do my absolute best to find chapter and verse, if I can, for every decision I'm going to make, everything that I hear from the Holy Spirit. And if I can't find it in scripture, I'm very quickly going to question it because scripture is the only thing that's changeless. That's that second principle. Don't think outside of scripture. And then to add another layer to this, not thinking outside of scripture, we have to remember that when it comes to translations of the Bible, this is where we're getting really practical here. Versions of the Bible. There's thousands of them. Thousands of translations of the Bible. In fact, one of the things that contrary religions have against Christianity is all the denominations we have and all the versions of the Bible we have. Now, if we're really to boil it down, every version of the Bible is influenced by some human interpretation. Every version. The only thing that we actually have as something that we read without personal or human interpretation would be what the apostles actually penned in Greek for the New Testament, Hebrew for the Old Testament. So if you really want to know what the writers of the Bible meant, what the Holy Spirit meant without personal interpretation, it's best to go to what it says in Greek. But now here's the problem. Koine Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was spoken and written in, no longer exists. It's not used anywhere in the world. Greek has been modernized and and in a lot of different ways, so Koine Greek is not spoken anymore. But when you read into uh, concordances, manuscripts, basically definitions of the Greek words that are used in the Bible, it's going to give you a much deeper and much more accurate understanding of what Scripture actually says. So a big mistake when it comes to understanding the Bible is letting one human translation that you like determine what you're supposed to believe about it. Because there's so many different translations out there that Christians will start to say every version of the Bible is the word of God. So what this one translation says, if it aligns with what I want to believe, then I'll take it as the word of God. But all these versions were intended to be, most of them were intended to be either paraphrases or different forms of different ways of understanding what it says in Greek or Hebrew. But personally, if you really want to know what the apostles actually said, you have to look into the Greek words themselves, the definitions of those words. Otherwise, you can come up with a whole lot of different conclusions. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. There's enough versions to do that. And so you got to be careful about this. Now, as far as what versions that you can trust reliably, there's a lot of debate around this. Personally, I usually stick with King James Version or New King James with a King James Greek concordance. There are other translations that are like, yeah, I'm okay with you reading that just leisurely. If you just want to have something that's, you know, mostly accurate There's a few translations. One of them that I like, you got to be careful with it though, is new living translation. I really careful with that one, but it, you know, it's okay here and there. Um, NASB is okay. Um, 
I, this is just my opinion. I really don't like the message. I, that's just me. I, I just, it's a paraphrase. Okay. It's a paraphrase. Somebody who's teaching out of the message Bible, even though, you know, it can be encouraging, not what it really says in most cases. And so you just got to be careful with, with translations. Um, like I said, personally, I'll stick most, most commonly with King James Version, and there's a lot of, you know, reasons why um, that I won't get into right now, but it is, it's trustworthy. Um, so, yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So translation means taking what the word is in Greek and turning it into its English equivalent or whatever language it is you're translating it into. A interpretation or a paraphrase means taking more the general idea of a verse or thought and rearranging it to help a person understand it and apply it to, uh, yeah, get the gist of it, right. Interpretations more has to do with what you think it says, right? But a translation has to do with what it actually says, right? And so for that reason, what the Bible actually says in Greek is always going to have more authority, more weight than what somebody thinks the Bible says. And so when you're going to come to an accurate conclusion about what the Bible actually says somewhere, if you're not looking into the actual Greek words that are used, you can basically believe anything you want for a lot of verses. So that's why we have to go back to, to, to the Greek. So... And now, as far as how extreme do you, do you go with this? Now, yes, it can turn into just a big intellectual science thing, and then you kind of lose the whole point. But the reason why it's important to bring this up is because Paul, in the verses actually, Galatians 3.16, um, so you guys can write down that reference, Galatians 3.16. We won't look it up right now. But this is an example where Paul quotes from the Old Testament, and he says that the blessing was given to Abraham's seed, singular, not to seeds, Plural. He actually says the adding an S to the word seed, he says, changes the meaning. And he says God specifically had it say seed, not seeds, to indicate one man, Christ. Abraham's seed, singular. Paul trusted the Old Testament so adamantly that he said even adding a single letter to one of those words is dangerous. And so the Bible talks about not adding any commandments to God's word, not saying God said not to do something when he didn't say it. Don't add commandments. Paul went down to even say, don't even add a single letter. So we got to be really careful with this because when you look into different versions, there's letters added all over the place, words added all over the place that might not even be there. So if Paul was like, hey, one letter matters, it should matter to us too. Okay. So if you're going to come again to an accurate conclusion about what the Bible says, make sure that how you're understanding a verse is drawn from what it actually says in Greek without adding letters or words that aren't there. Now, sometimes there are words in English or Greek that don't have an exact equivalent in English. And so the best you can get would be a interpretation or a paraphrase. Like for example, sozo, the Greek word sozo, it's most translated saved, salvation, be saved, being saved, so on and so forth. But sozo means a whole lot more than just 
getting saved. It means delivered, healed, set free, made safe and sound. It means peace and prosperity and wellness and joy. It's a huge word. We don't really have an English equivalent for that. So we just say saved, but it just doesn't quite do it justice. And so that's why when you look at Greek words, you'll see a much more expansive definition of the word so that you allow yourself um, an interpretation that is not restrictive to the English language. Um, so I would say every single Christian who is following Jesus and reading the Bible absolutely must be using some kind of Greek reference and Hebrew concordance of some sort. You can look up, look it up in the app store. Just look up Strong's Concordance in the app store. It's plenty of apps you can get. Um, Blue Letter Bible is the name of one of them. Um, there's free ones. There's also ones you can pay for depending on how deep you want to get into this. But there's plenty of opportunities out there to study this way. And I would say this is really the only way to, to actually believe accurately what the Bible says. Um, because you can't even add a single letter, according to Paul. So you have to pay attention to every single letter. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's a great point um, that Lisa brought up in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Eve added to God's word not to touch the tree. But God never said don't touch the tree. He just said don't eat of it. So she added don't touch it. And the devil took advantage of that. And that actually is what catalyzed the fall of mankind was adding to God's word. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it happens today. It happens to this day. So got to be careful about that. It's a really serious thing. Um, so that's that Galatians 3.16 important piece there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just start saying sozo to people. Or shalom. People use shalom, and that is a present-day used Hebrew word. But shalom actually is mostly used for hello and goodbye in Hebrew today. But when you say shalom, you're basically blessing somebody with everything God has to offer. It's like just, yeah, it's like 10 words in one. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, okay, so, now, when it comes to understanding the Bible, Arenzo, this is going to be really important for you um, when it comes to understanding Scripture, especially as a new believer. So, as far as something to write down, I want you guys to write down Mark chapter 4, and I'll give you the exact verse, but... Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and you can write down verses 13 through 20. Mark 4, verses 13 through 20. So I won't go through every verse. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the Bible described receiving the word of God and being changed by it as he, he talked about it in this illustration of a seed being sown in a field. He talked about by the wayside, which is basically if you imagine casting seed on a cement sidewalk, right? You're not going to get any growth from that. Then he talked about casting seed in stony soil. If you ever tried to, you know, do some gardening in soil that's full of rocks, it's really annoying, okay? Very hard. Um, then he talked about thorny soil, where there's just weeds everywhere. If you don't weed a garden, it just destroys it, right? Then he talked about good soil, clean soil, fertile soil. Now, Jesus said that the sower, the seed, is the word of God, and it is sown in our hearts, and the condition of your heart is synonymous to the soil that Jesus was talking about. So he said, the wayside means the word is given to you, but because you don't understand it or don't seek to understand it, 
it does not take root and therefore doesn't produce anything in your life. So when it comes to reading, this is especially important for you, Renzo, when you read the Bible and you don't understand something, the Bible says you reading that, receiving that word can be completely useless if you cast it aside and don't care to understand it. Now, sometimes there are things that you just have to put on a shelf because you just need to pray through it more. But for me, what really helped was when I didn't understand something, I studied it until I did. And sometimes that meant I would have to spend a week on one verse. So the, the, and it actually says the devil steals the word from people when they don't understand it and just forget it. So you can't do that too quickly. Sometimes you need to, but in most cases, Jesus said that the word is sown on the wayside and ends up producing nothing if you don't care to understand it. So it's really important to make sure that we study things until we get it. Okay. Then when he talks about stony soil, he says, the word is sown, it takes root, you receive it with joy, but then tribulations, hardships, and trials come, and you give up on the word. So when you start believing something, there's going to come tests and trials in life that will actually test whether or not you believe that. And if you give up on the word or give up on something the Bible says because some hardship or bad experience came upon you, then it says it will end up producing no fruit. So believing the word and actually having it benefit your life means believing it with endurance, believing it no matter what you go through in life. And that's one of the most important things. In fact, the Bible says that you'll be saved if you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. It doesn't say you'll be saved if you believe once. If you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, it says then you're preserved blameless and will be saved. That's in Colossians 1. So you have to endure believing which means when trials and tribulations come, don't be surprised. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, I think it's like verse 11 and 12, Peter said, don't think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. In fact, he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. His point was, be glad when you suffer as Christ suffered, when you're persecuted. He says, actually rejoice. It's a matter to be happy. And Jesus said, because they did the same thing to the false prophets. Everybody who's following Jesus is going to suffer persecution at some point or another and to any certain degree, regardless of what that is. And when you endure believing the word in the midst of those persecutions, the Bible says it refines you, it purifies your faith, it's going to make you stronger. But only if you keep believing through the tests and trials of life. You give up on the word in the midst of a trial, it's not going to produce fruit. And that was Jesus' point there. Um, next, he talks about thorny soil. And this one, I would say, is the one that befalls the American or the Westerner more than anything else. And this is the one that's the most dangerous because he says, when it's sown in thorny soil, they hear the word. This is verse 19 of Mark four, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Distractions, big problem. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Cares of the world means basically everyday responsibilities that cause you to give up on your relationship with God or neglect it or put it on the sidelines, put it on the bench. Deceitfulness of riches means focusing on just making money, buying things, wanting possessions that distract you. The deceitfulness of riches, the reason why it's called deceitful, is because it gives you the impression that life is good. Right. It gives you the impression that I'm doing well. I'm happy. Life's great. I have what I need. God has blessed me. I love God. He loves me because I have all this stuff. Right. 
it's deceitful because Jesus said in Revelation that you say you're rich, but really you're poor, blind, and naked. At this point, if you're not rich with the treasures of heaven, it's not real riches. So that's why riches of this world are deceitful, lies to you about your life actually being good. Okay? Yes. Yes. So the Bible says to provide for your own, for your own, but it also says to be content with such things as you have. And it says not to seek possessions with the attitude that you need it to, to be happy, right? But it does say to provide for your own. So what you need, what your family needs, work. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm sure my dad has said that to you a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of his favorites. Um, yeah, so his main question, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what it sounds like you're, you're saying is, is it, um, well, can you put it in one sentence so that I don't like, uh-huh, this into want stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So no, it's not a sin to want stuff. <laughs> um, when it, when it gets negative is when that stuff becomes God or excessive, right? Where it's like, it's taking preeminence over your relationship with God. That's when it gets negative, but simply wanting something. No, it's not a sin, you know, um, just because we're allowed to enjoy life. Bible says there's at the right hand of God, there's pleasures forevermore. So there's, there's supposed to be joy and life and peace. You can enjoy life, you know, depends what you want though, too. Yeah. Like my life is, sorry, <laughs> my life has um, always been like, I've always never had like good luck. So you know, my life has always been down. So I'm not down deep well, that was the past. Um, yeah. So basically all I tell myself is like, in the future, we'll be better. Uh, I just want to try to be better, especially with my family now. I just want to try to, Make sure we straight, you know, mm -hmm. and have the things that we need, mm -hmm. not necessarily what we want most of the time. Yeah. What we need. Yeah. I don't know. Is that is that like lusting? Is that like, you know? No. Okay. No. Yeah. Here's the thing. You have been forgiven. 
You're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. And just remember that the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the propitiation, in other words, the appeasement that was needed to wash away not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The Bible says Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever. So it doesn't really matter what mistake you make. It has been paid for. So you don't have to worry about your relationship with God being negated or canceled or like God's going to forsake you if you make a mistake. You know, he's never going to leave or forsake you. And in fact, the very fact that you make a mistake and feel remorseful about it means that your heart has been changed and he's in the process of renewing you. Amen. So the, the fact that you're asking these questions means you're in the right spot because you're concerned for your relationship with God. You, you have a relationship with him now and you want to please God. That means you've been changed, right? For people that aren't changed, they don't care to think that way, right? Yeah. Let me think about it now. The way you think, sorry. <laughs> the way you think, that's fine. <laughs> It'd be like, like, the way you think and the stuff you like say and even, like, even before I met, like, Mr. Ron and stuff like that, like, people would just tell me, like, something, like, you are, like, they feel like I'm connected, but I just be like, I don't know what people see. A lot of people would tell me, like, like, because I was um, in, like, a, uh, in the Oak Ridge in, like, a treatment place before I came here, like, two months ago. And um, I was always depressed in my room and, you know, just negative. And, but I would talk to people, and they would get energy from me to just be happy all day or feel better. And I'd be like, I don't know how, because I don't, you know. Yeah. Some people be like, some, like, they just see something in me. I just be like, I don't know. Yeah. Even still to this day, I'd be like, I don't know what it is. I don't know. But, Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation and it's not to be regretted. What that means is that if you, it, it's better, and this is what Proverbs says, it's better to have a house of mourning with righteousness than a house of feasting with wickedness. Right. So it's better to be remorseful, sorry in a godly way and grow and learn and become more like Jesus and be crying while you do it than be laughing and having a good time and be a slave to sin. So no reason to regret that. It's all part of the process. And you'll learn through it. You'll grow through it. But you're forgiven. You're changed. You're new. God loves you. And that's not going to change. Okay? Yeah. Keep coming back. So we can talk more after service if you have more questions. Okay. So last thing. So I mentioned the deceitfulness of riches, cares of the world, desire for other things. So if you got something distracting you from your relationship with God, then that's something you got to change. Okay? Last thing. Good soil. Good soil, the way that Jesus described it, it's sown on good ground. In Luke's account of this parable, it talks about receive it with a thankful and noble heart, an honorable heart. You accept it, which means to receive it for yourself in humility, believe it, and bear fruit. So bearing fruit means what you're reading and learning actually produces some change in your life. But bearing fruit is a process. It takes time. Jesus said that growing or the kingdom of God is like a seed that's sown. And then there's these stages to the growth of this plant. First, there's the roots. Then there's the stalk. Uh, then the ear and the corn in the ear. He says there's a process to it. There's stages to how a plant grows. But most of the growth actually takes place under the surface first. Um, one plant I like to talk about is bamboo. It spends like, I think it's three years, just as this tiny little twig out of the ground. And it, it looks like it, doesn't grow at all, but it's all under the ground. And then after that, within the process of, I think it's like six months, it shoots up to like 20 feet or 30 feet or something just crazy like that. So most of the growth 
is going to be under the surface first, which means if you read something, you're like, oh, I don't get this. It's not changing my life. I don't understand. That's exactly the reason to keep going because the growth that's happening is under the surface. It's in your heart first. Stick to it because it's changing you in a way that you don't yet see. And eventually the day comes where the roots are now sufficient to be able to sustain the weight above the surface. So that's why you have to focus and, and, and keep sticking to it. Endure. Keep reading. Keep going. So there is a sense of discipline there. Now, when it comes to the word of God being a seed, I just want to use this to kind of bring a conclusion to why it's important to read the Bible. Because we've gone over the condition of a person's heart and why that's all important. But what's the deal? You know, why, why read the Bible? The Bible says that the reason why God saved us was to conform us to the image of his son. Which means you are alive to look like Jesus. Period. So the world can see God in you. That's why you're living and why you're breathing. Okay. Now, in order to see that take place, the Bible describes it as the actual process of a baby being conceived and growing and being born. So Paul makes this statement in Galatians uh, 4 saying that he's laboring for Christ to be formed in us. He's talking about the labor of the gospel, his preaching, his teaching, his just loving people, being patient with them, continuing to stay close to them and, and help them learn and grow. He says the reason why he's doing that is for Christ to be formed in us in the same way that a child is formed in the womb of a woman. That's how Paul describes it. Now, I won't get into all the details, but I'm sure all of you guys know how babies come into the world. <laughs> but there's basically three stages as the Bible calls it. There's the conception, the growth, and then the birth, right? Now, the seed, one of the Greek words for seed in the Bible is sperma, which is where we get the English word sperm from. And it actually says that seed is the seed that conceived you. If you read 1 John, especially chapter 5, it says that you've been born of God. And then in um, I believe it's in first Peter chapter one talks about that. You were actually born again of this incorruptible seed, which means the reason why you're saved is because the seed of the word of God, the sperma of God was sown in your heart. When the soil soil of your heart was ready, the conditions were right. And then all of a sudden, boom, it latches on, you get born again. And now this Christ baby, if you will, starts growing. And that's the sanctification that you get more and more and more like Jesus. And then what eventually happens is this birth takes place. And Paul described it, Christ being formed in you and then him coming out, which is like all that labor underneath the surface, all that you didn't see all of a sudden bursts forth in your life. And you're walking like Christ and people see it and people are touched and miracles happen and lives get changed. And all of a sudden Jesus starts actually living through you because he grew so much that he couldn't be in there anymore. And he had to come out. Right. And so it's just, he just like, there just comes a day and I don't, I don't know exactly. I can't say it's going to be this day, you know, at the five years, six months and 21 days, you reach this point and all of a sudden Jesus comes out. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, you can't put a date on it, but the point is you keep hearing the word. What you're doing is actually feeding this Christ in you, right? Because that seed conceived this Christ in you. It's being formed in you through this teaching, through this growing, through this intimacy with God. And then what eventually happens is Christ gets so big, he just overtakes you. That's what's supposed to happen. 
And it's, it's amazing. Like I've always just, I've learned to think of it this way. And when I realized that this is why we need scripture. Otherwise, if you don't have a relationship with the Bible, you abort Christ before he has any chance to live through you. Right? So scripture, intimacy with God is taking this word and letting it conceive Christ in you and let it be fed and grow until Christ's life actually overtakes your own. Do you have a question? You can ask me afterwards. We're almost done. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say something that might help. Um, this is a whole, how the Holy Spirit explained this process to me. And he um, linked it to learning how to drive. You know, when we learn how to drive, we get a manual and we learn about putting our turn signal on when we make a lane change or whatever. But, you know, when you really get out there on the road and start using that knowledge, it's hard, right? It's really hard. Well, as you get used to it, it gets easier. It becomes automatic. And that's what happens with the Word of God. That's what happens when Christ is formed in you. It just becomes this part of you, um, like putting your turn signal on when you make a turn. It just, or at least that's part of most people anyway. Um, but the, it, it just becomes easier. Um, there's a Greek word called epignosis that it kind of describes that. In 2 Peter 1, 3, he has given us all things through the knowledge or epignosis of Christ. So that's how all of these blessings um, come to us is when we get used to living and believing what God said it and like, you know, Christ being a part of us. It's just, it's so natural. I just, that's what I wanted to say. It's so natural, even though it's supernatural. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good stuff. So we read the Bible for that reason to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Uh, you'll find out very quickly that if you don't have any interest in walking like Jesus, the Bible is not going to be practical. It's just not, you know, it's just going to be another religious activity. But when you realize you were born again, born of God to be called this brother or sister of Jesus and to actually have you be a joint heir with him and for his life to be your life, to be the continuation of his in this world. When you get that, then you realize, man, reading the Bible is really, really important. Absolutely necessary. And as far as practically to apply that, how, how often we're supposed to be in the word, I can't tell you you have to read the Bible for a certain amount every day. There's, I think some would say that there's a minimum amount of time. I, I can't really give you a minimum amount of time. But what I can tell you, and this actually raises the bar uh, much higher <laughs> than the amount of time, is Joshua says meditate on the word day and night. So if I say meditate on scripture day and night, I can't tell you that means reading the Bible half an hour a day. In fact, it's not really any time, any amount of time. Night and day just means <laughs> all day, you know, all day, all night. How do you meditate on the word at night? Well, you'll find if you meditate on the word all day, you dream about the word at night. It just, it affects your sleep when you wake up and you're just like, wow, I was thinking about this while I was sleeping. I don't know why, but it just, it just happens, you know? Um, and usually it starts with re just reading the Bible for a certain amount of time, but there comes a point when you'll read something, you don't understand it, and you'll focus on trying to understand it. And before you know it, your brain just gets acclimated to chewing on scripture. And then it just eventually overwhelms your thoughts. And then your default is the word of God. And, you're, and then before you know it, you're meditating on it day and night. But you got to start somewhere. That's the point. 
And to give a, 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 another practical layer here that actually is written in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, like verses, I believe it's 5 through 9, says, the word that I've commanded you shall today be in your hearts. God is saying this to the Israelites. And then he says, you shall teach this word, these words, to your children. Then he says, talk of them diligently, or teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Write it on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Bind it as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. His point was all the time. <laughs> Talk about it. Having conversation with people in your household about this. If you have that opportunity, it's really important. Deuteronomy said the way they were supposed to get used to meditating on the word day and night was... Every time you sit down, talk about it. Every time you stand up, talk about it. Every time you lay down to go to sleep, talk about it. Every time you wake up in the morning, talk about it. Every time you take a walk, talk about it. Turn it into bracelets and put it on your arms and make turn it into a necklace and put it around your neck and inscribe it on your doorpost and put signs in your house and pictures and everything you can possibly imagine. You just put it everywhere. That's what the Bible says to do. Now, if you're surrounded by that much scripture, <laughs> I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't be able to meditate on it day and night. So that's what, that's what the Bible actually commands us to do, to help us do this, to meditate on the word day and night. And Joshua 1.8 says that if you do that, you'll, you'll prosper and have good success in every area of life. In fact, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, that bodily exercise profits a little, but it says godliness is profitable for all things. A lot of people think godliness is just profitable for their religion. It's profitable for all things. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the savior of all men and especially of those who believe. So living a godly life is going to positively affect and impact every area of your life, and not only yours, but the people around you. And they don't even have to be believers. Because you're the, especially those who believe, it's especially going to affect you, but it's going to impact and be a blessing to all others around you. That's why Joseph in the Bible, because he prospered in his relationship with God and was obedient to the Lord, Potiphar's household, who was a pagan idol worshiper from Egypt, was blessed because of Joseph, Right? So it not only changes you, but others. So it's, it's just powerful, uh, the effect it has on your life. Proverbs says it even is health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Reading the Bible is health to your body. That's what it says. So just so important. So to close this up here, in summary, always compare what you believe you're hearing from the Holy Spirit with Scripture and then let the Bible interpret itself. Number two, don't think beyond what is written. If you have to think outside of scripture to believe something, that's where it gets dangerous. Number three, getting into the parable here of the sower. This kind of expands to some subcategories. Make sure you are patient in helping yourself understand the Bible. Endure believing even when things are difficult. Get rid of distractions. Those are the, the three different types of negative soil to avoid. Then James 1.21, this is another reference to write down, says receive the word with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Which means you basically, that word meekness is talking about submission. It's basically saying, don't question the Bible. Submit to it. It doesn't matter how you feel. Submit to Scripture in meekness. That's as Scripture as your authority. That's what it says to do. So be humble about it. You're not reading the Bible to find something that you want to believe. 
read the Bible so it changes what you believe, right? That's the James 1.21 thing. And then the last point, which I just finished with, is to continue in it day and night. Put it everywhere. And if you do this, you'll prosper. You'll have good success in every area of life. It just makes everything better. And before you know it, you'll look like Jesus. So what I hope to see is that everybody in the room here, everybody who's a part of this church, all of a sudden, you know, guys will all come in the door on a Sunday and you all just be huge, right? That all of us would just be pregnant with Christ. Like that's just, mm. not only that, he just comes out and boom, and it's just Jesus everywhere. Like oh, that would just be so cool. Um, <laughs> so that's my prayer for you guys. And um, so talk to the Lord about this, study, study this out more. We just, this is really meaty, practical stuff, but it's important. Um, when it comes to knowing the word. And maybe we'll get into next time a little bit more about this hearing from the Holy Spirit thing. But I, I wanted to focus on scripture today anyway. So um, thank you guys for listening, being part of this.